Um, I, I, I mean, I guess by profession, I'm a, a Zen and martial arts teacher, um, but I'm uh, also have been an activist for many years, and I have tried to, and I, I work with other people that are activists, uh, like a good friend of mine, John Spritzler, and, and quite a few other people, including uh, Jim Hogue and, and Nick uh, Greco and all kinds of great people that uh, Sarah Friels, Deb, Deb Piana, um, and, and I've, I've done a lot to try to promote, you know, to work as a network to try to promote everybody else that's doing good work so that we can move this thing together further, faster, and through a synthesis of some of our best ideas, because most of our ideas are compatible, um, I hope to, that, that, that our revolution will actually uh, come to fruition within our lifetime. Well, that would be great. We, it's, um, we do need a combination of many different people in many different fields, and um, in some ways have to wait until this system falls in on itself before a lot of other people find it's not working for them directly. Right. But we also feel it needs to be, there needs to be a demonstration of something else. Uh, right. So, so, Roxanne, I wanted to ask you a question, and we can get into the Venus Project and the resource-based economy, but, but what, are, what are your feelings about the yellow vest in France? Um, well, I don't know why more people aren't in the streets protesting so many things, but I don't think that's the answer for, for change. I'd like to see what they have to offer and what is their alternative, because without a viable alternative, I don't think it goes anywhere. You know, you know okay. uh, Rock, Roxanne and Nick, it's interesting how uh, John Spritzler, which is a, an author on egalitarianism that has written quite a bit of details about where we should go, um, he would totally agree with that. And I, I, I agree. I, I, I think that is a big part of uh, what, did, what did John say his son was saying? You don't know... Um, you, 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 people are not willing to get on a train if they don't know the destination it's headed to or something along those lines. That's good. Yeah. Also, I feel that people, um, you, you know, it's hard for, for, for people to change drastically. Uh, I think for, for, for most people, it, they have to take it in small amounts. So, unfor I mean, I, the way I see it is the, if change for, for the better is going to come, it's, it's going to, it's going to be in small steps. Would you guys agree? You know, you know while I, I, I think that's true on some issues, but I think on other issues it actually sabotages our best efforts. And, um, and, 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 and I don't disagree with it on all. I'm sure I know in some areas it absolutely has its place to do, to do some of the work in steps some of, it, some of it you can't do in steps because the, the rungs of the ladder have literally been knocked out by the wealthy people that control things. And, and, and three, uh, uh, it, it, even if we do it in steps, the, the optimal direction that we're heading to is the only way we actually have a decent compass as to where we're even going. So if we don't have an idea of what is optimal, the compass is broken. 
and we don't really know, and we can't really get focused and move in the right direction. Uh, we can only move a little forward, and then we might get derailed again. Uh, but I, I, I agree with that. Uh, uh, but I'm just saying that because the, cause there's so much uh, misinformation and so much lies and propaganda, I think it just comes down to a matter of trust. And, and I guess it's the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And, right. I, and, and I hope people do start waking up. And, I mean, look, we have Roxanne here who's got a, a, a phenomenal idea that I've, I've supported. And Jack Fresco has absolutely changed my whole outlook on how we should really look at life. And so with, with that, uh, Roxanne, maybe you want to get into some of the, the, the Venus Project or perhaps the resource-based economy for some of the people that don't know what that is. Uh, I, by the way, I read up just a little bit on Roxanne before this interview because I wanted to make sure that I honored her by knowing who I'm talking to because I did see her on some videos, but I was paying, at that time I was paying more attention to Jacques Fresco than to her, and I felt I should get a little familiar with what she's done. And, and, and from what I read, is this correct that you've been working with him since 75? Um, 76. I worked 76. with him for 41 years. Okay. Yes, yes. and it, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead, please. Yeah. No, it's fine. Ask anything you like. Yeah. No, we just, for, for, those, for those people that don't know what the resource-based economy is, uh, uh, Roxanne, maybe uh, you can go into detail what it's all about. There, there are even some people, I think, that, that have forgotten. I mean, there are some people... The, the, you know, because Jacques Fresco has a very great, he's got a cult following for sure, um, and uh, he's got, and a lot of people respect his work, but there are some people that might need a refresher as to what, what uh, the Venus Project and what uh, this is all about, because there's some younger people or some people who haven't been, you know, paying attention early enough, so they might not, not even know what this is all about. Well, I can start pretty far back, if you'd like to know what it was about. And um, if, for those who really don't know who Jacques Fresco is, Jacques Fresco died a couple years ago at 101, and he worked to the very end for social change, um, offering an alternative. He grew up during the Great Depression in New York City, and he saw most people were thrown out in the streets, and, and they were fed with soup kitchens and bread lines, and he saw that there were still things in store windows and that people were technical and they wanted to work and that there was arable land to grow food, but everything stopped. Um, and they were thrown out in the streets and they lived in tents, and everything stopped, he realized, because they didn't have money in their pockets. And during that time, it was a time of of a lot of information that, that has been squelched since then. So people were in the streets on literally soapboxes talking about different ideas and different social directions. They were talking about socialism and communism and fascism and, you know, the free enterprise system. And um, so he got, he got educated at a very young age. He was about 13 then. And he was always technical. He always had labs and was working on things. So he, 
he looked into different systems. He felt that it was the rules of the game that we play by, the social direction that, that we made up. <laughs> we made this up and that were hurting us and causing so many people to suffer just because they didn't have money. Um, so he spent a whole lifetime looking for an alternative social system. He looked into communism and socialism and Mankind United and, and technocracy, a lot of different systems that sprung up, and he found none of them really viable. Um, so he spent a whole lifetime working through in many different disciplines. You know, today it's really terrible because scientists can't even get together for, to advocate climate change, you know, against climate change, excuse me. And um, it's very hard to get different disciplines to get together is what we ultimately need to work on our problems. But they're all separated due to the free enterprise system um, and due to our school systems. <laughs> so he, he worked in many different fields because he left school early and um, he brought them all together to and advocated what he called a resource-based economy for a holistic, global socioeconomic system. And it works for peaceful and a sustainable global civilization. And, you know, today, the main aim is profit. It's profit-driven because we live in a monetary system, the free enterprise system, whatever you want to call it a capitalist system, but a resource-based economy is getting right to the point, not based on money. <clears throat> money is really, the monetary system today is really an obsolete system, <clears throat> excuse me, when we can produce whatever we need. The monetary system is based on keeping things scarce, and when you have things scarce, it promotes a certain behavior our behavior is generated by the environment that we grow up in. We're not born with greed and envy and bigotry and hatred. We, we acquire those attitudes through the system we, we're exposed to, our environment and our experiences. So this system is really based on abuse of one another and exploiting one another for the benefit of very few people. Yeah, true. Uh, for for example, um, what I always say is that in a capitalist system, one of the things that really identifies what it is is that it's a that it that it really is a violation of boundaries and rights of people that have less, and that's usually what the what how how who is able to do the violation of rights and boundaries is people yeah. that happen to have more, and so. Um, yeah, and, I, and, and by the way, the, the idea of not having a monetary system is heavily promoted by the author, John Spritzler, as well, um, where he believes that um, people should be able to take what they need uh, in a society where everybody's contributing to their best, uh, to their best abilities, if, if they're able to, you know, and... Um, um, and so you don't really, a monetary system is really not necessary. Um, and and it's, it's interesting how um, what John has is the ultimate place to go 
and uh, and what uh, what uh, what the Venus Project is about, ultimately where it wants to lead to as well. It seems like those two are pretty much the same place. So there are definitely. I'm glad to see that some of the the good minds that exist today that they're in agreement about the destination. If we are to have an evolve, uh, uh, if, if we are to encourage evolved human beings. Um. Well, that sounds wonderful. I'd like to learn more about them. But um, in, in speaking about the monetary system, some people might not, not understand that money is really an interference factor between what you want and what you're able to get. Yes. And people aren't equal. You know, they, they give us these words in this system that are meaningless, like True. democracy and freedom and patriotism and... Um, <laughs> talent, and many other things that really have no meaning, um, you're about as equal as your purchasing power in this culture, and you're about as free as your purchasing power. By the so, way, I, lo I love that cartoon. I watched it again a couple more times with uh, the one about Jacques Fresco and, and um, about um, where he talks about how he finds where he, he, he doesn't believe in patriotism because everybody in the world has contributed. Um, I just think that's a, it's a, it's a, it was a nicely done short, uh, you know, cartoon-like video, uh, but I thought that that was such an important point because really patriotism isn't, isn't a healthy thing. I mean, it should be, because some people say, the best form of patriotism is this or that, and I always say uh, I agree with with what Jacques was teaching that I've always thought that patriotism is a problem because it's like saying uh, in a very arbitrary way, way that the lives here in whatever country you happen to be in or whatever country you happen to identify with that the lives here are worth more than lives somewhere else, even though, because you're just generalizing as to people, when you and I know that we can easily find people in Japan or some other country that we could say, oh, that person seems like, I like that person a lot better than my next door neighbor. You know, I don't know why I would even think of something as ridiculous as patriotism. And, and that reminds me of, you know, when people say, God bless America, who are they to tell God who to bless? <laughs> uh, that's, well, for, for me, the whole notion is, is absurd because, you know, to me, I, I, I believe in, you know, uh, what, what uh, Lawrence Krauss, the astrophysicist, I believe, says is that uh, this is a universe that came from nothing. <laughs> so I, I'm an atheist. So, so to me, yeah, I, so, so Of course. Mark Twain, I, I like what he said. He used to say that the Earth is the insane asylum of the universe. <laughs> Oh, by, by the way, you know, another favorite thing that, that Mark Twain said that I never forgot because it was something kind of parallel to what I said. He said, when somebody asked him, I believe, if he's afraid of death, he said, well, um, it, it, he says, well, w before I was born, it didn't seem to bother me. He said, no, because before I was born, it didn't seem to bother me one bit. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach used to have a quote like that. It's people would say, "Well, you were afraid of dying," and he said, um, "Or, or, I don't know if that was exactly a question, but he said something like, um, you know, death is like what it was for you 400 years ago.'" 
Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Or, or, or like some people sometimes have asked, I, I've, I've mentioned to some of my students for fun, I've said, if a, if, a, if a young child asks you, what happens after you die? You could also say to them, well, don't ask me. It's, you, you've been there more recently than I have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I'm a big supporter of the resource-based economy. Um, but the question I want to ask you, in terms of politics, uh, where does politics fit in a resource-based economy? Because I've heard different theories about it. It doesn't. <laughs> Even today, where does it fit? You know, they're, they're not elected to change things. They're elected to keep things as they are. And they're subservient to those who have money that get them elected. In fact, those people who have the money to get them elected, they write the, they write the laws and give it to the politicians, and they come out word for word in many cases to serve the interest of those with differential advantage. I don't know what they do. <laughs> you know, you can walk up to a politician. <laughs> we always, when somebody walks up to us and says, I'm, I'm running for office, I say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, then ask them, well, what do you do to eliminate war? How do you eliminate war? I don't know. There's always been wars and rumors of war. How do you get a higher yield per acre without depleting the soil or poisoning our food? I don't know. How do you make efficient, fast transportation? They don't know anything. I don't know what they're doing in there. You well, they're, 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 they, are very, they are very efficient. They are very efficient junior partners to the wealthy elite that run the show. Yeah. And that, is, and, and that is the reason they do not, why it seems that anything logical falls on deaf ears. I mean, yeah, deaf, deaf ears, excuse me. Um, it, because they're really, they're, they're, they, they have, they're, they've been so co-opted and vetted over so many years that, as a matter of fact, since the beginning of the United States, it's been like that. But we haven't known it as well as we do now, at least some of us that uh, these are just junior partners to the very wealthy. They have no interest in improving those things because they want to continue their dominion over us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're kind of like used car salesmen. I mean, they really they have are. no interest in certain people. But the, the, so, so let me rephrase that question, Roxanne. Mm -hmm. um, how do people organize... Uh, in a resource-based economy in terms of, let's say, if they want to, I don't know, uh, something like building some sort of transportation system, um, how, how would that be done um, under yeah. a resource-based economy? Excuse me. Well, you have to understand some overall things first. If, if we had um, tomorrow a resource-based economy, the first thing we would have to do, among many other things, is to take a survey and understand the carrying capacity of the earth. We don't live within the carrying capacity of the earth today. We're depleting resources very quickly, and we're plundering the earth's resources just to keep selling things, and we make things wear out and break down um, because of this system, because we have to keep selling things. So we would take a survey of the earth and see what we have, see where our resources are, see where our water is, see where the arable land is, the technical personnel, 
but mostly the needs and the health of the people. And that determines what we do where, how many hospitals we we need, where we need where we need to build cities, um, and many other things. So it's not an arbitrary whim of somebody's opinion. Um, I want to describe something else, too, because in terms of governance, you have to understand some people get the word dictator mixed up with procedural systems. Flying is a procedural system. Surgery, they have procedural systems. Traffic lights are procedural systems. Landing an airplane without landing gear to avoid a lot of casualties. You learn procedural systems before you can even fly. If you want to build a house, you have to have a blueprint and engineers sign it off to make sure that it holds up. These are all procedural systems that are based on experimentation, and experience, and that is based on tests and verifiable evidence. They're all procedural systems to minimize accidents. And I think so, also, I think also what you're talking about procedural systems. It sounds very much like it's it's a it's a more directly decided upon situation. It's not somebody residing over it that doesn't know about it or is disconnected exactly. to it. Those are more direct. More directly connected to, to the people that are actually doing it or involved in organizing it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to say though is, Roxanne, is if um, if there was a need for something, uh, and, a, and a, a, let's say if an individual were to bring it up and say, "Look, we need this," w- would there be consultation with the public? Like, would the public be would know about it, and then would uh, would we get? Uh, uh, basically, consent from the, from the uh, from the people. In a, in other words, would there be like a local assembly, like what um, what John proposes under um, under uh, like an egalitarian system, where you have local assemblies are the ones that actually uh, are directly connected to the people, and they make the decisions rather than it being you know uh, lorded over them by some some someone else. You know. That's right. Um. I want to describe a little bit more, and I'm, I'll, I'll get into sure. that. That'll help you. Okay. All right. So, you know, a, a physical checkup is a procedural system, um, but if you don't have money to get the very best procedural systems, you can't. It, you know, you can't carry it out. A monetary system doesn't give people the best procedural systems because they have to purchase it. That's right. Most people don't drive the kind of car they want. They drive what they can afford. And they don't select the kind of house they want. It, it's determined by their purchasing power. So you're limited by the dictates of the purchasing power today. Right. Capitalism, like we were talking about, serves those in control. The majority aren't served by the capitalist, capitalist system. The the Venus Project really is the only system I know of that is designed, the aim is to enhance the lives of people and protect the environment. A monetary system, even if you think you have some kind of um, participatory democracy in it, a monetary system is based on wealth, property, and power. So knowing the difference between a dictatorship and a procedural system is very, you know, they're very different. Uh, 
um, people are brought up to believe each person should have the right to their own opinion. Instead, in a resource-based economy, we say that people should have access to information and experimental techniques so they know if the technique is verifiable. Um, the scientific method is what we advocate to arrive at decisions. It's a dictatorship, but not the kind of dictates that are based on, they're the kind of dictates that are based on findings rather than personal opinions. And, you know, the, the majority really can't solve problems like those who have studied the subject by obtaining a, a physical reference. You know, if you have a, a conference on aeronautical engineering, you have people who are trained in aeronautical engineering. Um, so it, it seems like if we had a democracy, and, and I think this is a fallacy, a democracy, if we had a democracy, it would have to be with exceptionally well-educated people. I'm afraid of the word democracy because it implies that people have the most sensible answers. If you ask the general public what's good for them sometimes, they would have so many differences. You would have arrogance and warlike attitudes. They would say, yes, we want a church, a Lutheran church every five miles. No, we want a Christian church every two miles. So democracy operates under the assumption that when you bring up when you bring different people together you get a consensus between all of the values it's it's impossible people aren't brought up to understand different cultures or even different people they can only vote for that which they are familiar with so people who to me advocate participatory democracy often um grossly overestimate the knowledge and the qualification level or background of, of most people. Um, so the word democracy as it is today is a placating system to give people the illusion that they participate. Well, the current, the current system, but the current system isn't really democratic at all. Like you no. said, it's just an illusion. But what I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at is that yeah you know I obviously I trust the professionals when it comes to you know building bridges or, or whatever the case may be. But what I'm saying is is that there are think tanks with actual professionals in those think tanks that propose new ideas. And essentially they say okay we want to build a bridge we know how to build a bridge, but we're just asking you the people. Um, if you guys want a bridge, I know it's a simplistic, um, simplistic thing. The way explaining explaining it, excuse me, uh, but I'm just I'm just saying that it's it's not up to the people to to build the bridge. It's just if they were consulted, because they might have some concerns. Now, Roxanne, I agree with you. People now nowadays, and maybe for the last I don't know, maybe two three hundred years, maybe even more. I mean, it, the education system is not really an education system. It's more of an indoctrination. So I remember GM was telling me this, and he's right. He was right on the money. And even George Carlin even said it. Now, they don't teach you critical thinking skills. No. They just teach you how to be a useful tool. Uh, right. And I way, think... Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. And another thing that, that when it comes to who do you trust to make decisions or whatever, it's interesting. 
if you actually had a, a real democracy that's more inclusive and again, more, more of a system that like a more direct, uh, direct input by everybody or whatever, and you had uh, a lack of capitalism, because like capitalism is gone, the monetary system is gone, let's assume for the moment that's gone, what you would actually have, you'd have actually the average person would actually have a greater amount of respect for real expertise and would defer anyway much more likely than under this kind of an exploitive system. They actually, because I know people, if, they did, if you feel, if you don't have any reason to, sh- to, to, to shout down somebody who knows better than you because you're not deprived of food because, you're, because you might not be as smart or you're not deprived of other basic needs that you need in order to help your life to grow. In other words, if you don't have a hatred any reason to hate experts that most people that I know of, and I know, I've known a lot of people over time, they would actually defer to experts, especially if you don't have the capitalist system in place. Yes. It would actually be something that you could still have a very direct democracy with an egalitarian, you know, with, with what you call a, 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 a different people within assemb- local assemblies and a more direct democracy, and at the same time, that wouldn't necessarily interfere with the experts at all, but without the, without the capitalism in place, it would probably free up the experts, and they would be more honored rather than less. That's, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that would be the case. I think we could go beyond this word democracy, <laughs> you know, um, and that doesn't mean a lack of participation, but more participation, well, like what you say, when more people are educated so they can participate and they want to participate so they don't have to rely on other people, you know, um, telling them what might be more advantageous for them. Um, not to drink this water, it might be poisonous. This is how you test it, you know. This is our findings. So, um, but, you, but you know, Roxanne, the experts of today are so contaminated with politics yes. and self-motivation They're, that often an intelligent non-expert may actually set you in, on the right path quicker. I have no qualms about that. I don't think there... Is hardly any science there. You, you, you can't, you know, the word trust. You really can't trust much of anything when mo- when money is behind it. True. So, um, I, it, you know, it depends on who's who's sponsoring those those things as well. Um, but I'm talking about a system where where the major effort is is creating a good environment so everybody can participate and yes. everybody can have their needs met and everybody gets medical care from birth to death and everybody gets a good education. When I say a relevant good education, I mean for the perpetuation of sustainability and the well-being of people. Um, so when you have a system that you, you one that people are trying to help one another. There, you take away the motive of deceit and corruption. Yes. And, and by the by the way, having an expert in charge is also less. Uh, you know, with certain things, having an expert in charge is also. It, it really isn't challenged much by people if they don't feel that it somehow puts it makes them a lesser citizen. 
Right, and and there's no one expert in charge of anything. Yeah. There'd be groups of multidisciplinary people working together in that particular field that they have knowledge and expertise in. Um, um, so you, you know, science is even prostituted today. We're all prostitutes in this system. Yeah. But you know, they couldn't get a scientist to make a bomb if in a different system, a scientist that was really well-educated, he'd question, what are you making the bomb for? Isn't right. there a better way to bridge the difference between people? Chuck used to take, he'd say he'd take all soldiers and send them back to school to learn how to bridge the difference between nations, not to make bombs. Right. So, you know, they just use us for their own bidding. Um, so I, I am afraid of technology today. I advocate technology in the future more so to help make decisions, but today I'm afraid of technology. It means technological unemployment. It means surveillance. We're the most surveilled country in the world. And depending on where you live in the world, it means drones and thousands and thousands of bombs. So technology... And, and, and by the way, Roxanne, the other thing it means is it means accelerating inequity, and we've seen yeah. that yeah. Even in the last 10 years, we've seen extreme acceleration of inequity through sure. technology. And I always tell people we need to stop the new technology until we get this human equation under control. And I think you mentioned something about that we have all these different resources or whatever. That's, uh, 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 if you don't mind me correcting your language a little bit, I would say we don't have them. That's, That's right. the problem. Right. They do. Yes, you Yes, um, I accept that. Um, so, so yeah. because that, and that's another problem. We can't manage resources and things in the world and fix the climate and do this and do that. We can't do any of it if it's not we that are actually in control of those things or in possession of them because we're not. They are. And that's what the Venus Project is about. It's about um, the intelligent management of Earth's resources. That's people, yes. technology resources, you know, um, that's what it is about and how we can do that with the main aim being for, for the well-being of people, which it, it is not today at all, uh, not within the monetary system. But the thing is that, you know, with this onslaught of technology, we are losing more and more jobs to automation, and there will be a point where automation displaces enough people where they won't have the purchasing power to buy the goods turned out. And that's one scenario of the end of the free enter enterprise system. And people are beginning to write about this today. Jacques wrote about it 60 years ago. Yes. And they have no solution as to what to do. They're doing patchwork or band-aids. And this is kind of where I see democracy, the notion of democracy come in, too, that um, they're they're, you know, by the environmentalists want to buy a patch of, of forest. So, but if another president comes in and you see the loggers on it, or save the whale, um, or, you know, get people off of drugs, but for every person you get off of drugs, the system produces thousands more through its advertising and its dependency in that way. Um, so I always say if people weren't over-drugged or didn't overeat or didn't over-alcohol and take, take 
too much alcohol, they would probably have a nervous breakdown because this culture yeah. is so stressful. And it puts the blame on the individual. They didn't work hard enough. They didn't think positively enough. They didn't strive hard enough. You know, they, they blame the individual instead of the circumstances that they're raised in, which is the culture. Well, that personal responsibility thing is, is really a very... It's such a cliche and such a such such a, a, a product of lazy thinking. That's why I always tell people, I say, and I know it's hard for people to follow sometimes, I say, if you want to know, do, do human beings have a willpower? And I say, yes. And this depends on, on circumstances and context. I often say, we have a more, and I made this little saying up years ago, we have a more or less autonomous interdependent will. And that acknowledges the causality that's, that was connected with our past and is still connected with our present and is the context for our existence. So when we do something really bad, we should not fully blame ourselves. When we do something really grand, we cannot really toot our horn about that as if we did it by ourselves because that would be a lie. You're you on know, the backs of many other people that even gave you the printing press to be able to learn things. Yes. You know, invention is serially developed. And this By the way, I saw that video of Jacques just uh, the other day where he was talking about how things, uh, where he was talking about the box camera yeah. and, and the little hole in the room that allowed yeah. the picture to be upside down in, in, on the wall. Yes, what that is, for people that don't know about that, is that somebody challenged him once, because he, he did a lecture, he wanted the whole school, the university to come, and um, instead of just the sociology class, the professor who invited him, and the professor said, well, how do you get that to happen? And Shock put up a, a poster that said, man can't think or reason. This is when they yeah. called man, women, and men a long time ago. But... Um, so that got everybody mad, and they, they, held, they had to hold the conference, the lecture, in the auditorium because many people wanted to come to challenge that. So somebody got up and said, well, we, can, we think in reason. And Jack said, well, give me one example. And so he said, the box camera. And so Jacques explained how the box camera was serially, serially developed. When they used to make mud huts in the old days, they put a hole through their finger in the mud because they couldn't do windows, and that if it's sunny out, and then there's say like a cow walking by, it reflects it through the hole and then upside down on the wall, and so they, you know, and people walk by and carts walk by, and it would, they would have the show upside down on the wall inside the dome, and they would charge two bits of silver to come and see the upside down wall, and you <laughs> extrapolate. I mean of the upside-down world, excuse me, and that is extrapolated to the box camera with the hole yeah. in the photosensitive plate, which even that came about through many different renditions of, um, say, Indians doing a mat with, um, with you know, weaving a mat out of um, plants, and they put berry juice on it, and if a leaf falls on it, and you pick it, I don't know if you've ever done this, I used to do it in camp, but I knew what Jack was talking about, because if a leaf falls over the dyed berry juice area, and you pick up the leaf after a while, you see the pattern of the vein and of the leaf and all the veins and everything. So mm -hmm. that 
extrapolates into photosensitive um, glass or whatever they use. One, one other issue I thought would be interesting to bring up, because, uh, and I'll, I'll try to be brief about it because I, I, I know we're, we're heading towards the end of the talk here, um, is because, you know, I, I, I was looking at the, 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 the interesting ways of building and creating better structures and stuff like this. And I'm also a person that believes in, you know, uh, preserving some of the great older things that we have built. You know, whether, I, you know, I'm an antique collector and I, and I think some old buildings are well built and I think they may not be perfectly energy efficient in every way, but also if we were using hemp and algae instead of fossil fuel, though some of those things could still be fully functional. I'm not saying that we should continue to build the same way, but also, you know how development, especially in our current system, and I, and, and I don't think this is what Jacques meant anyway, to do a lot of building without changing the capitalist system, because if you do that, all you do is you create a lot of wealth for people that are you know, the developers, and, um, and, and basically that just creates a large divide between the rich and the poor. But uh, it's just something that popped into my head because I was thinking, well, you know, I, I like to see a world where we can preserve a lot of our wonderful old things, yes, well, we and then when, about... new, then when we build new, it doesn't mean that our new things shouldn't be built intelligently. But also another thing that's interesting is, is that good technology does also, and I'm sh and I'm I'm sure that you guys probably agree with this. Good technology does not necessarily mean increasingly more complex, and not for everything. Things. To us, it simplifies things. Good yes. technology use the least amount of materials to cover the most space. That's why Jacques advocated domes so much. Not like not because he liked round structures because domes are extremely strong. You can pull right. them off a mold. You use the least amount of material to cover the most space. They're about as hurricane-proof as you can get in, in this area of Florida where we have hurricanes. And if they're made out of certain materials, you don't have to put tents over them like they do in Florida and spray them with poisons. Like we have concrete domes, um, right. and they are making concrete greener. But... Um, so there has to be lots of experimentation with that. And uh, they get stronger with age. Right. I, I also meant devices like, for example, in the, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we have is loaded with so much ridiculous technology. For example, when Datsuns first came to the United States, when they were imported in the U.S., they were very simple cars. They were almost like Japanese Volkswagens. Um, they were simple cars. Sometimes they didn't even have power windows, but the quality of the workmanship on them was good. They were easy to work on. They were easy to, relatively easy to fix. And it's just an example of where some technology, when it comes to cars, technology has run, run away to the point where it, things are so increasingly complex. On some, on, on not every item needs to be a computer. Um, and, and that's my point. Mm -hmm. Well, 
when we talk about a high standard of living, we're not talking about sharing minimal amount of resources. But when you train children to be in the science fields, too, and to look at things and make them better, make them cheaper in terms of um, resources, uh, not money, <laughs> but resource allocation, and um, then they would become simplified. But w- when you think of if people are trained to make things better so they don't wear out and break down, right? And, um, they're always looking to improve things. There's no utopias. But then whatever they people design goes right back into society for everyone's use without yeah. the price tag. So you're happy to see people. There's nobody who's trying to sell you something. We're all chiseling off of one another's misery. You get a toothache, somebody makes a thousand bucks off of you. Yeah. So you bump your car, somebody makes a few thousand bucks off of that. You don't need any of that. We just uplift the whole society together. And you make things and you have access centers. You know, it's not money that people want. People think it's money and a good job. What they want is access to the goods and services that that money brings. So you you don't need money. You can make you can put people on producing abundance as quickly as possible. And because of our technology, we can do that. So we can house, feed, and clothe everybody on the planet. Um, oh, we actually, uh, uh, as far as housing, we actually even have. I mean, yeah. not we. That uh, I wouldn't say we have the housing. They they do. But I'm saying the housing actually exists to house everybody. Um, uh, you know, now, I think there's, there's been a lot of posts about that or, or articles I've seen on the, news, on, on the Internet that says there's between four and six houses for every homeless person in the United States, for example. That's really shameful. And they can make low-cost, efficient houses that just pull yeah. off a mold, very strong and very comfortable, yeah. but there's no profit in low-cost housing, and they don't want it in their neighborhood. You know, you know what I often call the technology. What I have, uh, you know, uh, my brother came up with one th- one of these words. He says, you know, what the future has turned out to be, kind of like on some of these movies. He says it's turned out to be like a grunge future, and I added to it and I said, yeah, grunge future and sloppy tech, because you know we have so much technology that's very sophisticated, but it's actually less reliable. Then some of the technology, some of the simpler technology we had in the 50s and 60s, because it is produced again, like you said, it's produced with so much of a profit motive, and the quality factor is so low that 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 people are just uh, trying to figure out how to use these devices, and they waste a lot of time and money and resources on the damn stuff. Also, I want to lives too, just to keep people busy to make things to wear out and break down. And yes. People are in perpetual debt, a, a made-up thing with money, keeps yes. people and entire nations in perpetual debt, which to me is like a wasted life. It is. It's insanity. And it's, it's, it it's, and it's a cruel form. It's actually a very, it's another cruel form of slavery. It is. It is a paid slavery. What were yes. you going to say, Nick? No, what I was going to say was it's also... Even these uh, these jobs that that people are in, I would say maybe eighty to ninety percent uh, of people hate their jobs. Yes. 
But it's like a, it's a system of uh, coercion, where <laughs> if they don't have a job, then they you know they can't they can't survive or live, right? It's it's a it's a really sad, pathetic uh, life with with no meaning whatsoever. Well, I th- I think people can actually do things if people were taught properly, and we had had the, had a culture that we had healthier, uh, you know, the right kind of healthy values, and, and a purpose too, GM, and a purpose. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We would have a sense of your work would mean more to you than just cracking something, or you know, a lot of people they don't even, they can't even conceive of what it is that would make them feel fulfilled and productive as and, and to grow as a human being at the same time. That's right. Imagine training people like women to sit behind a counter and wait for people to come in so they can sell them something. What kind of lipstick would you like, ma'am? What kind of jewelry would you uh, like? They're just nothing things, not the people, but the things they're selling. Right. Um, how are you going to feel? How fulfilling can that be ultimately when you yeah. finally retire to know that you've done that? Yeah, you'd have to do some serious rationalization, and, and that's what most. Americans, uh, and even other parts of the world too, but most Americans, they do a lot of rationalization to tell themselves their lives were meaningful to them when in fact they wish they could have. I mean, deep down, they probably would have been so much happier if they could could have pursued something that was more uh, substantial. Roxanne, I had a question. Sorry, go ahead, Roxanne, go ahead. If they were given that opportunity, you know, and and anybody can learn anything, but this culture cuts them short. You know, if you take a, a primitive baby in the Amazon and you bring him to England, you can teach him how to be an aeronautical engineer. He doesn't yeah. have a primitive mind. He has a primitive mind set by the primitive culture, the environment that they're raised in, that shapes the values. And um, we don't even feel the manipulation and control because it's so subtle in this culture. And we think that everything that we, we, we don't even think we think, we don't believe we think, everything that we think with is given to us by the outside. As I said, we're not born with those ideas or born being inventive or creative or what they call talented. Everybody can be inventive and creative and talented. Um, Roxanne, would you agree, though, that, that, that uh, and I just throw this in to be fair to the, um, to the people that are from the Amazon or whatever, some of these people that appear to be primitive, um, on, in, in some areas they have skills and abilities and even thinking methods that are actually ahead of, uh, of, of the, the average person living in some of the developed areas. I would definitely agree. And if we have enough time next time, if you can give me and Theo some more time, we'll make sure we can plan this first and get Theo on there. Um, I can tell you the story of Jacques when he went to um, what they call the very primitive culture, and he searched out a primitive culture that didn't have any of our books and our radios and our TV and our religion and to see if there was really anything called a human nature. Um, I, I don't know if you have time for that story, because it is a long one, but the primitives taught him an awful lot. Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll save that for next time, uh, yeah. Roxanne, because I want to uh, do this again. Uh, yeah. I just have a question for you. Sure. And, well, can I uh, say real quick? It's really quick. I sure. was going to say that... that 
if Roxanne has a chance to connect with John Spritzler, I think she would enjoy his collaboration and company sure. as much as I did. I, I sure. hope that she, if you can connect her with him or whatever, that would be, sure. I think that would be great because yeah. uh, Roxanne, you'd love him. He's a brilliant man and, and, and in, a, in a different way than Jacques, but he's, uh, but, but he's got areas that he's really, uh, really uh, evolved in terms of ideas about a society, and it's so compatible with what you're doing. Nice. Yeah, we can set that up. We can set that up for sure. Uh, I mean, if it's okay with Roxanne. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. So I had a question for you, Roxanne. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've been asked this many times. Um, do, you, I mean, do you still keep in contact with Peter Joseph? No. No. Okay. When, All right. Don't have contact. Okay. Uh, now the the um, the Zeitgeist movement and the Venus Project are they very similar? I, I don't know what the Zeitgeist movement is doing now. I, I can't speak for the Zeitgeist movement. I can speak for the Venus Project. Okay. Fair what, enough. The, Fair enough. Yeah. Was was the Venus Project just featured in the uh, like in the Zeitgeist film? Is that what happened? Is that why the two names are associated, or what? Yes, Peter Joseph did a very good film. He did he, he did one film, and he it was when the internet just came about, so new ideas could get out there. And um, he did a film based on exposing religion and money, and and about um, theories of why the buildings fell in New York, you know, on 9/11. And so somebody wrote him and said, "Well, what do we do? Where do we go?" And he said, "I don't know." And so, actually, I sent him Shock's book, and he identified with much of it, I guess, and then he came out and filmed Shock and filmed me and did a movie a year later called Zeitgeist's Addendum. And um, it, for the first time, it exposed, it was very well done, too, for you know, certain people's tastes, it exposed Shock's ideas. It was like putting his book into a, a, a movie. Into a movie, yeah. That's and right. it, it, to me, I always said it was like intellect went viral. It, Jacques had to wait until the Internet came along because he couldn't get on corporate news and corporate um, media. And, and he, he was on the air once on media, I think. I think he was on other times, but this is the one main one I know of, on the Larry King Show in 1974. And I've seen that one. Yes, and he yep. spoke very quickly because he wanted, it was the first time on the air, and he wanted to get a lot of ideas out there. And after the show, Larry said, look, Jack, can you not talk about how cigarettes cause cancer, you know, even after many years? And can you not talk about how cars need airbags? Jacques was the first one who did an airbag in a car, but it was a, it was a membrane throughout the whole inside of the car, so you don't just hit in the front and the back. And Jacques said, well, look, Larry, I could but I won't. Jacques never sold out. <laughs> um, and so consequently, he was never asked on again. And he had to wait till the Internet came along before he was exposed to the general public. And that was when he was, what, in his late 80s or 90s? I don't even know at this time. But um, and, and the ideas took off. And that's, after that, we did a world lecture tour. And... It was like, <laughs> it was, it was like intellect went viral. When he walked into the auditoriums, they would just go crazy. 
even before he got on the stage. So it was really, really rewarding to see after a lifetime of working on this and not having exposure that uh, people were hungry for it. Now, he's one of the greatest minds of our time, that's for sure. There's no denying that. I I think he's getting a resurgence of interest on the Internet, though, because I do see him brought up by many people, especially now that we have people that are realizing that capitalism is a problem. A lot of the, the, the evolved activists today, many of them are actually familiar with Jacques Fresco, and some of them just a little bit and some a little bit more. But he's, 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 not, he's definitely gained, uh, gained a new interest with a lot of the younger generation as well. Well, we'd like to have exposure to them. We're, we're having a um, strategic plan to get into universities, to get to academia, to get papers written. We, um, we are planning our next stage, which we call, at this point, might change the name, Center for Resource Management, where we're doing a bigger research and development uh, center. In the middle of it, we're going to have what we call, at this point, a museum of the future, where you walk through and you learn about what scientific method is. You learn about evolution. You learn about how, um, how our understanding and our knowledge is serially developed, how technology is serially developed, and you learn many aspects about cybernetics and, and, um, and semantics, and, but you do it in, in an entertaining way, a yeah. fascinating way, and then at the end you go into the main building and you see how all this can be put together for, for, to enhance humanity solely to enhance humanity and what the world of the future could like could look like because Jack wasn't just wasn't a philosopher or he wasn't it, it wasn't based on somebody's wishes or aspirations it was based on real scientific evidence and experimentation and a lot of pain and um, and isolation too but he always always worked he used to lecture three and four times a day well it was in the evening uh, um, in his home to people who came to introduce them to new ideas. Um, so this, this center would also be self-sustaining. We'd have research and development. We'd have another ring where we'd have access centers, a media center, a, uh, a shop, and many other things to sustain people. And we would grow our own food, and we're having our own clean sources of energy. And we want to demonstrate we, we want to live within this system in that ca- campus as much as possible. So people living there, they wouldn't need money. They would be collaborating on a direction for the future toward a resource-based economy. We would be developing the blueprints and the automation for the first city, and we would grow. Um, and the cities, as they develop, would, as they develop, would share resources, share knowledge freely, and we would invite people from all over the world to come and see how it's working and be a hub for, for the next step in social evolution. But this is what we're working on. It's not stopping because Jacques died. We're, we're going on full force to initiate. Well, it sounds, it sounds much of good. Work. You know, I, I wish that user-friendly um, science was something that everyone had more. You know, I, I think our society should be more where the average person should at least have some comfort with, with science. 
I don't, they, and it, everybody doesn't have to be the same, but it would be nice if we, everybody was science literate in a way that was user-friendly to the point where people loved it, you know? Yes, everything is science, really. It is. Anytime you use good reasoning skills of any sort, I always point out to my students that think, I have some students that have learning disabilities, and I always point out to them if they have, if they're able to reason through an area, like I tell them sometimes when I'm teaching a martial arts, I say, you seem to have pretty good reasoning ability in terms of figuring out how this would work. I said, you got to realize, you may not think of yourself as being a, a, an academician, but I said, but, you know, if you can reason here, you can apply it anywhere. Reasoning is just going through steps, memorizing a few things that you might have to commit to memory just so that you can use the tools, and then being careful and seeing what other factors tie in, and then you end up at the end of the equation. I said, everything is like that. Yes, and, and to understand what it takes to learn something is, is um, a good attribute to have also. Yes. Uh, Anybody can learn anything, really. I agree. Young enough, and um, scientific method is finding out what works, get verifiable evidence and statistics, and check it out. And and nothing is ever final. You always have other people verify it and change it, and it's always ongoing. So well, it's just it's just like what I tell people about being an atheist. You know, I tell people I'm a very confident, tentative atheist. Very good. Okay, Roxanne, I, uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it's thank you, it's Nick. been it's been really great doing this. So, uh, thank you for for doing that. And GM, thank you, sir, for for joining on the conversation. Thank you, thank Nick you and uh, Roxanne. It's been an honor to meet you over the phone. Thank you. Same here. It's been a real pleasure speaking with both of you. I hope we can do and, it again. And yes, Nick, definitely. Thank Nick, thank you for all your great work in connecting with all kinds of uh, important people. Well, these people are very important to connect with if we're gonna if we're gonna move forward in a positive direction. So, so anyways, I like to thank both you guys. Thank you guys. Okay. Good night.